0: This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. To learn more, visit patreon.com forward slash ink film. Welcome to the Ink to Film podcast,
1: where we read the book. And then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week we discuss Brett Easton Ellis' 1991 novel, American Psycho. Fourth of July, James. Well, 5th, I guess, is when this episode's going to come out.
0: Yeah. Hopefully, I had a good time on the 4th of July. I don't know yet.
1: (laughs) Yeah, hopefully, I did, too. Uh, Hopefully, all our listeners did. Um, So, we thought, you know, being patriotic and all, we'd talk about American Psycho uh, for this holiday.
0: Very patriotic book, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was quite an experience um, that I'm very uh, excited to talk about. Um, But, yeah, I wanted to go ahead and give some trigger warnings for this episode, because if you don't already know... The book covers a lot of extremely violent and disturbing material, including violence against basically every type of person and animal you can imagine, <laughs> um, children, adults, women, dogs, all kinds of stuff. So if you, know, you have to be prepared for that kind of stuff. We're not going to go into graphic detail, but I just want you to be aware that we are going to be discussing it.
0: Yeah, it was some crazy stuff for sure. Uh- I don't know. I didn't. I didn't. I mean, I remember the movie, but I just didn't think it was going to be quite as graphic and crazy.
1: That's a good point. I think it is far more disturbing than the movie, in my opinion. And that's something we can get into. Yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, so I also want to say before we get into this that we're going to be talking a lot about psychosis and uh, sociopathy and, you know, that sort of kind of mental conditions. And I want to say that right off the bat, we're not equating that with evil. But what we're going to be discussing is the sorts of people who have that kind of issue and then do murder people and go on these killing sprees. And I feel comfortable calling that evil. But, you know, I'm not trying to make a broad sweeping generalization about about certain mental health issues.
0: Right. But I guess how we're going to handle this episode is is kind of a little different than normal. Right.
1: That's right. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to begin by talking a little bit about about the author, which is typical, but then we're going to do a short summary of the entire plot. Uh, We're not going to do a scene by scene thing, which is what we typically do. This book is not very plot focused. There are a lot of scenes that are very similar to one another. Um, It's a lot more about kind of the texture and feel and overall arc. Um, So that's what we're going to react to more. And we're just going to kind of have a more free form discussion rather than a plot summary, although I will do a brief one.
0: Yeah, because you don't want us to go on and on about every type of suit and every type of (laughs) liquor and every all that like he does in the book.
1: Yeah. All right. So uh, if you're ready to get into it, I am. Let's do it. All right. So first, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Brett Easton Ellis. Do you know anything about the author?
0: Um, a very little bit. Uh, I'm just gonna say that I think that this guy has some some darkness in him before we get into any of his backstory. I just want it to be known that I think that this guy is like he he's a pretty sick individual. And I don't know, maybe that's just his imagination. But one way or another, he's a pretty sick person. Yeah,
1: maybe I I think um there is an interesting discussion to be had about and this is something that comes up a lot when talking about art is you can talk about art and its relationship to the author, you can talk about art and its relationship to um, other art, and you can talk about art as in, in its relationship to the reader. Um, there's all these different perspectives, right? And certainly you can look at it and try and like discern things about the author through the lens of the work itself. But I've always found that sort of criticism and discussion like a little bit more boring than other kinds, because ultimately, I don't think art is something that is just a extension of self, and that we should be looking at it that way. I don't. I don't find that. I mean, you can talk. You can make some compelling arguments for that, sure, but um, I don't find them as interesting. I don't know. So I, I think I'm more interested in talking about how this book relates to other art and how this book relates to the reader and our experience reading it. You know, assuming we know nothing about the man.
0: I don't know. Yeah. So well, I mean, I, you can I, disagree. So, but <laughs> that's how I feel. <laughs> no, like I actually, I actually do agree with you. Um, m- more of what I was trying to say isn't necessarily that like in the artist's eyes this is what he wanted to do right he was making he was making certain points these he doesn't agree with the things that are going on in the book but uh my point was just that like to in order to take yourself to the place that a lot of these characters that go to and the things that they do takes a certain kind of imagination like i don't i don't know if i would say say that i could come up with this stuff on my own personally but maybe <laughs> yeah, that's, no, I mean, that's I, the I job of a writer so
1: yeah i mean i mean we, it's a slippery slope right because like we do describe um, a lot of stuff, and, and especially, you know, I'm a writer who occasionally writes violent scenes, and some of them explicitly so. And so, I think it can be a bit tricky to start saying that if you come up with a violent scene, you're a violent person, or that kind of stuff, right. you know
0: what I mean? I don't think, yeah, um, I don't think I'm trying to say that. I just think, No, no, like, I get you. If, if you wrote a scene similar to this, I would still think you're a sick individual. I'm not saying that's <laughs> necessarily a bad thing, right? Because it's, like, a certain amount of uh, imagination that goes yeah, into it, right?
1: I, I think it's more about... Um, to me, it's more about the potential to empathize and bring to life a scene that you might even find repellent, and I think there is a skill to that. Um, we can get into, into more of his th- uh, when he talked about specifically writing those scenes. So, so let me let me tell you a little bit about him. I mean, I, I don't think his life is potentially interesting. It's more about what came out with this book, right? So he's, you know, he was... It seems like he was a pretty wealthy guy, grew up in California, but this was his third book, um, and he it was... The considered the most controversial book of the 90s. Uh, after it was published, he received death threats. The book was banned um, in many places. And then the publisher themselves, uh, Simon & Schuster, dropped it after publishing it because of so many letters got written and so many people, you know, objecting to the book's existence.
0: Well, OK, so I got a question for you here. Sorry to, sorry to interject. The people that reacted in that way aren't mm-hmm. understanding the, the book, Right. Like, I understand that there's a certain amount of violence and stuff that people could be, again, triggered by. I mean, it could be seen as glorifying or like excessive, but I'm just thinking like that that's the point of the book and the, what he's trying to say.
1: Um, yeah, Brett Easton Ellis would agree with you. That was something he said later was that he felt that, like the book wasn't understood. Um, critic critics all hated it when it first came out, um, even though now it has come around to generally positive critical reception um, and, you know, through the lens of time. Um, and so to finish that story, it, made, it was uh, later picked up by another publisher
0: and that's why it's still on bookshelves today and it sells quite well. It just surprises me that a, a publishing company that would be in his corner in the first place would be like, you know what, it's too controversial for us because that yeah. that would be the point to get into business yeah. with this book.
1: Well, and I think part of this thing that's worth talking about and what you're kind of alluding to is also, and maybe this is, maybe some of what people were upset about is this, uh, although I do think a lot of it is probably just like pearl clutching, Oh my God, it's you know it's violent kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But there is an argument to be made for the effect a book can have on society and on the people who read it. And I think rightfully you could look at this book and say there are a lot of people out there who are have sick and violent tendencies who might champion this book and look at it as a something that backs up their worldview or you know what I mean there's a lot of ways to, mm-hmm. there's a lot of ways you can misinterpret this book. And you could see him as a hero and you could see him as somebody to aspire to. Um even though it's a misreading in my opinion.
0: That makes sense to me. That the I didn't yeah, I didn't even think about the fact that like somebody could see this and and then be like, that's what I want to be. You oh know?
1: absolutely. Yeah. And I think that so there's an argument that could be made that for that reason alone, you know, this book shouldn't exist. But I, I tend to fall on the side of I think I think it should. Um, I think that I'm okay with this sort of art being made. I think at some point someone was gonna write a book like this and that <laughs> um I don't know how many of these sorts of books we need, but uh, there is, I think, room at least for one, in my opinion. (laughs) In an interview with Rolling Stone, Ellis called this his most experimental novel, um, I think up to that time. He he considered it an emblem for yuppie despair. Uh, He said he thought it was about the dandification of the American male and about surface narcissism. His father was an inspiration for Bateman, he originally claimed, but later... Uh, backed away from that and said that he actually is based off himself. There was an interview at the end of my audiobook that I listened to where he actually, because I alternated between reading the physical copy and listening to the audiobook, where he actually said that he thinks it's his most autobiographical novel. Which uh, you know, it's a pretty controversial thing to say in itself, or uh, uh, shocking, perhaps, thing to say. Yeah,
0: I I think this is the part of the the interview that I saw where, and yeah, when he said that, I'm like, what? Like, so this is your most autograph? Like, this is how he views women, and this is how you know what I mean? Like, how, yeah. like, how, like, ooh, that was a yeah. bad statement to make, in my yeah. opinion. Like, he just, I, like, I mean,
1: he's I, he reminds me a little bit of Chuck Palahniuk, in that he seems to be very. I don't know, not gleeful, but just like he enjoys playing with people's perceptions and having people be shocked and having people make all these assumptions about him that he can then later say, oh, I was just, you know, I meant it this way or I meant it that way. Um, speaking of that, he has um, over the years come out as a gay man, came come out as bisexual, later said he was straight, and then now back back around to saying he's gay. I don't know what he, you know, and then he said later too, that it depends on the day you ask him and it depends on his mood. And he also likes playing with people's perceptions because he knows that they'll read the book differently Mm -hmm. based off of what they think he is. You know what I mean?
0: So it's interesting, right? Well, uh, that feels a little icky, right? Because it feels like he's almost like playing with people's perception of his of his sexuality for for a book's perception, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no, I, it's, that, I mean like I hope that he's not like playing with sexuality for in a just for for his book's sake, you know what I mean? Like I'm assuming that he actually feels these ways.
1: Oh, yeah, I think he does. I I mean, from he I don't know. It seems to me like he's probably at least bi, but I, I don't I'm not really interested in speculating, but I think it's more that he's willing to go to these extremes, right? And and I think there is a rightful way to look at him and, and just kind of be like, fuck that guy. Like, I, I totally get that. And I think there is a prevailing sense, um, maybe not prevailing, but there's a lot of people in the writing community who feel that way about him. And and, and like, I get it, I guess. Um, so yeah, so more on his his, uh, his bio here. He was part of something called the Literary Brat Pack, which was a group of, I think, four or five writers who were became infamous for their late night debauchery and like, like partying around in New York City in the in the in the uh, early 90s he became a pariah during the initial release of American psycho he he said since that uh, he he's more liberal and um, not as uh, homicidal as Bateman is but he, he does identify with him and he said that he felt a lot of this sort of purposelessness and and um, Apathy and feeling like he's invisible and just feeling like people are obsessed with the wrong things I guess it's like a lot of the society and a lot of the um, criticism of uh, Everything really in this novel. I think that's probably more what he identifies with in like his state of mind at the time That makes sense. And and that's what I think he means when he says it's his most autobiographical novel
0: Right. I I think the points that he's trying to make uh, with the book I can understand how he could identify with that stuff. But to just out and out, like you said, I think it was like a shocking thing for him to say to be like, yeah, I'm similar to Patrick Bateman. Like, that's like a, why would you say that? (laughs) Yeah, just for
1: the, just for the shock value. So when asked about Patrick Patrick Bateman's future, he said, I saw him very much as a literary idea, a metaphor for my own life, my own pain, and an overall criticism of culture. It wasn't as if I really saw him as a flesh and blood person. That he could be waylaid by the housing market crash or by the dot com thing. So the interview is asking him about like, where Patrick Bateman would be now, and it's telling I think to see that he didn't even really view him as a person. He was just more this idea, this metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he has, and he said in interviews repeatedly that um, he never decided th- whether or not the murders were real in his own mind while writing it. He would feel different ways on different days when he was writing it. Uh, one day he'd feel like yeah he's really murdering these people, and then like the next day he'd Introduce all these um, examples of why it wasn't happening, and that day he would feel like it was all a hallucination. And he he says he's not interested in like claiming one thing or another. He he likes that it's open to, for interpretation. So mm-hmm. um, so speaking of all that, that's a little bit of a plot spoiler, I guess. Let's let's do maybe I'll do a quick. I'll try and keep it quick, but we're going to do a plot summary um, just so we can be aware of like how this goes down. Even if you've seen the movie, there's some stuff in here that's a little different. So, set in Manhattan during the Wall Street boom of the late 1980s, American Psycho follows the life of a wealthy young investment baker, Patrick Bateman. Bateman narrates his, narrates his everyday life from his recreational activities in the, with the Wall Street elite of New York and his forays into murder by night. Bateman describes his daily life ranging from a series of Friday nights spent at nightclubs with his colleagues, where they snort cocaine, critique fellow clubgoers' clothing, trade fashion advice, and question one another on proper etiquette, to his loveless engagement to fellow yuppie Evelyn and his contentious relationship with his brother and senile mother. Bateman's stream of consciousness is occasionally broken up by chapters in which he directly addresses the reader in order to critique the work of 1980s pop music artists. Characters are consistently introduced as people other than themselves— and people argue over the identities of others they can see in restaurants or at parties. Deeply concerned with his personal appearance, Bateman gives extensive descriptions of his daily beauty regimen. After killing Paul Owen, one of his colleagues, Bateman appropriates his apartment as a place to host and kill more victims. Bateman's control over his violent urges deteriorates, his murders become increasingly sadistic and complex, progressing from simple stabbings to drawn-out sequences of rape, torture, mutilation, cannibalism, and necrophilia, and his grasp on sanity begins to slip. He introduces stories about serial killers into casual conversations and on several occasions openly confesses to murdering activities with his co-workers who never take him seriously, do not hear what he says, or misunderstand him completely, for example, hearing the words murders and executions as mergers and acquisitions. These incidents culminate in a shooting spree during which he kills several random people in the street, resulting in the SWAT team being dispatched by helicopter. The narrative episode sees the first-person perspective switch to third-person, and the subsequent events are, although not for the first time in the novel, described in terms of pertaining to cinematic portrayal. Bateman flees on foot and hides in his office, where he phones his attorney and confesses all of his crimes to the answering machine. Later, Bateman revisits Paul Owen's apartment, where he had earlier killed and mutilated two prostitutes carrying a surgical mask in anticipation of decomposing bodies he expects to encounter. He enters the perfectly clean, refurbished apartment, however, filled with strong-smelling flowers, perhaps meant to conceal a bad odor. The real estate agent, who sees his surgical mask fools him into into stating that he attended the apartment as a viewing in part of an ad in the Times, which there was no such advertisement. She tells him to leave and never return. Bateman's mental state continues to deteriorate. He begins to experience bizarre hallucinations, such as seeing a Cheerio interviewed on a talk show, being stalked by an anthropomorphic park bench, and finding a bone in his dove bar. At the end of the story, Bateman confronts Carnes about a message he left on his machine, only to find his attorney amused at what he considered a hilarious joke. Mistaking Bateman for another colleague, Carnes claims that Patrick Bateman, he knows, is too much of a coward to have committed such acts. In the dialogue-laden climax, Carnes stands up to a defiant Bateman and tells him his claim of murdering Paul Owen is impossible because he had dinner with him in London a few days before, not once but twice. The book ends as it began, began, with Bateman and his colleague at a new nightclub in uh, on a Friday night, engaging in banal conversation, the sign seen at the end of the book simply reads, This is not an exit. Whew. All right, there you go. There's the plot
0: summary. <laughs> so, um, I feel like the thing that we should mention, uh, to kind of convey the experience, yeah, uh, is that similar to the film in the book, we get just like insane amounts of details on the products and the, the materialism, um, to the point that it's excessive for the reader. So it's like a deliberate choice for Ellis he's making a he's making a comment on materialism in his, in America at this point and all that thing all that stuff. So now that we have the plot and kind of the the atmosphere, I just want to get your take, like your visceral reaction. What was your what was your reaction to this book? Did you enjoy it? I did enjoy it. For a different reason than I like than I like the movie too because I feel like the point is so much stronger in the book. In the movie, it's like the the context is there, everything's there for you to make make draw all these conclusions about what the you know the I don't want to say writer or director, whatever whoever's telling the story, you can see what what the points they're trying to make are. But here, Ellis is able to he's able to wear you down as the reader with the facts about wh- what like, you know, beauty regiments and going to the gym and, and all of these things to where you feel exhausted just hearing about the stuff that they do every single day that they are obsessed with and they have to deal with. And I mean, it's just like there's a commentary on capitalism here and just how sure. it, like the, how, being a child of capitalism, we're so far into it now. And even, I mean, in the nineties it was like, like this was a somewhat fresh take, maybe a little bit ahead of its time where they were saying like the boom of the 80s and the excess and all of the things that were going on in the 80s like that's the reaction to it is like you look at the people who became successful and a a kind of a fun thing that I hated at first was that Bateman is like completely obsessed with Donald Trump and I was like oh my god I'm gonna have to hear about Donald Trump the whole time (laughs) and then as it goes on I'm like of course he's obsessed with Donald Trump because it's fucking this is how these people are you know what I mean yeah it was a
1: yeah Let's, let's talk about that for a moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, Donald Trump and his obsession. I mean, this guy looks up to him like a golden god, right? This is his ideal man.
0: And this and is 91. Come on, like this is if, if this is a book in 91, and somebody who is involved in this kind of activity in New York that the author Ellis, yeah. um, and he specifically singles out Donald Trump, what kind of person do you think that person is? You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah, I mean, and like, I mean, Bateman is a like textbook, I mean, probably because Ellis did research into these things, but he is like such a narcissist, right? He he thinks everyone is in love with him. That's something I immediately ca- caught up on. Every woman he introduces is flirting with him, or is in love with him, or is attracted to him, and they do things flirtatiously every time they like talk to him, mm-hmm. and I can totally see this being a thing in a narcissist's mind, right, who believes this, right? Everyone is in love with me. He's in love with himself, and and that's you know meticulously laid out, like you said, in these giant descriptions. Um, I think I put it posted something on Instagram about there's pages with no paragraph breaks of just him describing his beauty regimen,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it just goes on. And so the whole book is also like stream of consciousness. So th- that that's another thing that really lends itself to this kind of uh, experimental style. Um, but yeah, back around to Donald Trump. What a what a what a perfect. Uh, you know, exemplar of this lifestyle, right? Like it's so empty. It's so uh, racist and homophobic. uh, It's so toxic. Um, Everybody's fake. It's all just status. It's all one-upsmanship. I don't know. It Just, I mean, honestly, yeah, I agree. When I first saw it, I was like, oh shit, you know, we're going to have to be reading about Donald Trump. But over time, yeah, I I was like this, it's the, he's the perfect guy for this guy to look up to. He really is.
0: Yeah, it was it was I was genuinely like, I don't wanna read about Donald Trump at all. Hopefully <laughs> I don't mention him again. And then it got deeper and deeper and he's like, I can't miss Donald Trump talking about this on Letterman or whatever it was, and yeah. he has his book on the desk and all of these things, and I'm like, It's just I mean, he called this from way, way back and, and <laughs> yeah. uh that's our president now, so
1: Yeah. So uh, speaking of that, the the, the interview was twenty five years later and it was after Trump had been elected that I read. And uh Ellis said that he thought that Bateman, if Bateman were around today, wouldn't like Donald Trump anymore, or would be would be cr- critical of him because he he feels that Trump has now like lowered himself to trying to appeal to commoners, whereas back then I guess Trump was way more elitist, and right. that was wh- one of the things that Bateman really looked up to. So I don't know. It's just interesting thoughts from the author there. Um, speaking of Trump though, yeah. So there was one part I loved where he uh, he. He was criticizing this pizza at this fancy restaurant, and he, this, guy, this guy was arguing with him about it because he couldn't believe he insulted this pizza, and then the guy goes, well, Donald Trump says this is the best pizza in New York City, and Bateman is, just has to, like, come around and say, I guess I need to, like, try it again, right? Like, he can't <laughs> stick to his guns. He immediately has to change his opinion, which shows just how much bullshit it all is, right? It's all just mm-hmm. status. It's all just whoever is more popular and has the better taste. You're just trying to emulate them, Right. Right identity is a big important part of this novel, right? Like, and, and everybody just seems so interchangeable. I constantly couldn't remember who these people were that he was talking to. You know, which woman was which woman? Which friend, quote unquote, of his, you know, was who? Um, I, tr- I was trying to keep it all straight for the sake of having to talk about it, but it was tough because they're all just so the same and so empty and, and, and obsessed with materialism. Uh, and like, I mean, the men, I think, honestly, are... W- much worse, in my opinion, but you could argue—I don't know—you could maybe argue both sides. Um, just, a, a, just in the empty narcissism and, and obsession with just stupid things, mm-hmm. um, they're all—they're all bad. And, and honestly, it's hard to feel bad for these people. But uh, he also makes you do that because the stuff that goes on is extremely brutal. Um, yeah. And I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like I—I I guess maybe that says something about me. But like, I wanted him to murder all of his friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and which he did, he only murdered Paul Owen, but I think out of his actual friends, um, you know, which I put in quotes because honestly, I don't think any of them like each other. They're all, it's all just a status thing. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, also put in quotes because I mean, we're definitely going to jump into it, but it's like, was this all fantasies? Right. Is this like his way of coping with like this boring life that he's, that he's like kind of like stuck in at this point and being obsessed with materialism and being perfect and all this stuff. Is this just him? separating himself mentally from that i don't know it's a lot yeah um, so do you have a do you have a take on that or is it or are you kind of like do you like the author's thing where it's like it's both
1: i mean honestly i mean if you know me you probably know i i i like the idea of it being both i i'm okay with ambiguity i'm okay with it being open to interpretation um because i can appreciate that that wasn't an and you know Decision made. I don't look at it as like a world exists where this story is real, and then we can try and determine what really happened. I don't. I don't look at art that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, yeah, it's. I. I don't think it's very interesting because whatever you're doing, you're going to be bringing your own suppositions to it. Yeah.
0: The reason I. The reason I specifically asked if you had a, a take on it is because I. I felt like although, I think ultimately we're meant. I think ultimately like you said it's it's less exciting to say it's one thing or the other. I think that it is it is like actually both. Like I th- for yeah. in my read of it this time what I'm coming out with is that he some of the time is embellishing and like making these things up in his head and trying to entertain himself or whatever, but at the same time I think he also did kill some people and hurt some people. Um, but maybe, maybe that's, you
1: know, no, no, I I mean, I think that's fair reading. I I think, um, yeah, if I were to, if I were to really, if you were to really press me, I would say, yeah, I think he did probably murder some people, but it's, I think it's impossible to tell which ones really happened. Mm -hmm. I think there are several that definitely didn't happen because we see proof that denies them, right? Like Paul Owen, for example, uh, like the prostitutes he killed in Paul Owen's apartment, um, seems to be pretty clear that didn't happen um there's a few like that
0: right right but we do see like for for example we see like the homeless guy that he attacked that's right. like completely like mutilated and completely messed up yeah after an attack that he did and he goes up and talks to him and interacts with him so that i i just feel like maybe he's maybe he's imagining the fact that he attacked him and then seeing him again but i feel like yeah. that one's more more leaning into potentially have having happened
1: yeah, you can explain a lot of it as delusion, right? Because what do we really? I mean, he's he. This is the quintessential unreliable narrator, by the way. Mm-hmm. This is like you tout this guy out when you when you want to describe what an unreliable narrator is to somebody. Like if you're teaching writing, this is what you reference because you can't believe anything he's telling you. He's hallucinating. He's, um, you know what I mean. Like there, the little bit of interactions he gets with other people contradict the things he's saying. Constantly, he's saying that he says things, but then people don't hear him and to the point where you start going okay he can't be actually saying this stuff like some of it every now and then you're like oh maybe they just didn't hear him but he just blatantly says like talking about murdering people right to people's faces and they don't they don't react um so then i go well maybe he's not saying these things right and then you start to question everything yeah
0: and i think that's also a good point that the, that the writer's trying to make um, because he's saying these things to these people's faces. But since they're so superficial and so self-involved, they can't be bothered by what he's saying to them. Right. He's saying, Look, I guess that's I did the other this. read of it, right? Yeah, Right. He's like, I did this. I murdered these people. And the people are just like, whatever, check out my, you know, my business card or my watch. Oh,
1: man, business card scene, yeah. uh, which has brought to life in the movie fantastically. But I think it's just a perfect kind of distillation of this, right? Like, just the way everybody's like, one-upping each, each other and mm-hmm. the way it's, like, viscerally affecting him. And he feels like he's, like, got a vomit. He's having, like, a panic attack about it because, like, everybody's is better than his. And he was so proud of it. God, it's so it's so good. Like, uh, that scene is so fantastic.
0: Well, and it's, it's, like, it's so important to him that it, like, like you said, like it's, like, it's like if somebody died. Like that's yeah. the reaction that he's having. So it's like something that impossibly bad is happening to him just because of this dumb business card thing.
1: So something I was thinking about as I was trying to wrap my head around this novel, this guy is obsessed with status, right? And about having the best, like he has to have the best entertainment center, the best rock, Walkman, the best cosmetic routine, the, drink the best water, eat at the best restaurants, have the best taste, dress just amazing. You know, everything has to be the best, right? That way he can, in, 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 he's competing, with his other people, right? That are doing the same shit. Um, And when you take that person and you make them obsessed with serial killers, which he is, I think I can start to see the leap of him trying to imagine the most horrific, elaborate murders that one ups everyone else, right? Like he's reading Mm -hmm. about Ed Gein and he's reading about Ted Bundy and he, he has to one up them and be even worse. And he, it's almost like he's competing status wise with the other serial killers that have existed right real people and in doing that um, what's really also really interesting is that we see him to be a pathological liar he constantly is claiming things that aren't true he's claiming things are more expensive than they are he's saying that he did things that he didn't do um, just for the effect right and, and if you take that and you also apply it to the serial killer obsession right like and he's lying to himself and so, you take this, and he's lying about the things he does, and he's fantasizing about things that would make him better than all the other serial killers. It's all about this, like, status and power, and I can see the violence and the murder as being an extension of that for the character.
0: Yeah. Like, you're saying he, like, he'll go to a rest. he'll say he has reservations at a restaurant, and then when he gets, he's so... He sells himself on these lies, right? Like he gets to the restaurant. There's no reservation. He lies about who he is in front of somebody who hears him. You know what I mean? In front of yeah. his date, who knows that that's not his last name or anything on the list, and they go sit down. And like he's so out of touch with rea- reality. It's like it takes him being removed by the actual couple who had the reservation before he's like, oh, I couldn't. Like, like it's. I guess it's it's not going to work out. And then he's like so. Upset he doesn't by even it. admit what he did, though. Ever. Right. You know, but he's so but he, like his internal monologue is like he's he's losing it. He can't believe yeah. that this stuff has happened to him. And it's so embarrassing. And then the girl, the girl being a normal human being yeah. uh, is like, well, you know what I mean? They're like she may be obsessed with material items and all this stuff, but she's like, oh, that was so funny. That was such a right. fun experience. And like he's like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me.
1: Yeah. And I honestly I think of Donald Trump here, too. Right. Like being just caught in lies and just not not just not like bulldozing on and just like ignoring the reality being presented to them, Mm -hmm. you know? So once again, Donald Trump's the perfect person for this guy to look up to. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Happy Fourth of July, right? Yeah. Happy Fourth of July, everyone. Uh, uh, Which, by the way, I heard the big liberal rebellion was happening uh, yesterday. So I guess (laughs) uh, hopefully that went well. (laughs) (laughs) According to Alex Jones, if you don't know what I'm referencing. um, He he said that liberals are going to start the Civil War on the 4th. Um, Oh, man. Alex Jones. I think Bateman would have loved him, too yep (laughs) oh so uh yeah i mean we can can we talk about how just guy how sexist and racist and homophobic and terrible and cruel all of his observations are like it was exhausting
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um and and yeah like every every observation he makes about anyone is cruel
0: like it was you know always hateful every single thing he did he looked around and he just saw hate and tried to put things beneath him and he was better than everything
1: yeah. And the only things he seemed to look up to were more like it was just status and and perception, like perceived qualities in people instead of mm-hmm. like who they actually were. Like he looked up to he, he looks up to the idea of who these rich and famous people are. But, you know, we should talk. I mean, when he when he's presented with actual Tom Cruise in the in the yeah, elevator, um, <laughs> um, reality doesn't always live. I don't know. Like it, it's it's it's. That was, I don't know. What's your take on that scene? That was an odd scene, right? It
0: was weird. Yeah. I was like, I thought he was just going to see him in the elevator and that was going to be it. But he actually like had Tom Cruise answering these questions. I don't know. Do you feel like, do you feel like uh, Ellis was trying to give Tom Cruise the benefit of the doubt where he was like, he could see through his bullshit a little bit. Like he he could see through Bateman's bullshit and he was just like, you're just like another fiend who's trying to after me for my fame and you're so interested in fame kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I did get a little bit of that read from that scene. You're right. Like I kind of was rooting for Tom Cruise because he it seemed like he could kind of see that this guy was a mess and like fucked up.
0: Yeah, he's like, I loved you in that Bartender movie. And then I was like, oh, did Bateman purposely say, m- misname Cocktail? Did he purposely say, call it like Bartender or whatever in order to like put down Tom Cruise and say like, you're not as good as you think you are while also saying I liked your movies? Or was he like genuinely outed as not like a t- huge Tom Cruise fan right there? Yeah,
1: I think that's what, I think the latter because um, that's another thing I want to touch on. Like I think all of his t- pop culture references and, and long descriptions of of albums I always got the impression that he was parroting like reviews that he's read, and that I, I don't that, know yeah. how much of this stuff he really feels. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I think he, I think he's really good at reading reviews in Zagat or whatever the the freaking magazine yeah. um, that has all the different restaurants in it, and like everything he reads in that magazine about what's good at the restaurant is what he believes.
0: You know, mm-hmm.
1: and and yeah, I don't, th- I don't know how many authentic opinions this guy actually has.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I honestly found the, the reviews of the music more annoying than anything. And like, yeah. that's exactly what it is. I think it's supposed to be annoying because he's just, he, it's not his opinion. He's not ever stating why he thinks it. He's just saying like, this is, well, kind of saying how, how, why he thinks it, but he's saying like, this is the best song of this, this album because of this reason. And you're, it just, like you said, it seems like he's parroting things.
1: Uh, in kind of a meta, maybe like overall way, I thought it was really interesting because it established a pattern because those would always follow some of the most horrific scenes. Mm -hmm. Like, the most horrific scene would happen, and then immediately the next chapter would be, or whatever you want to call them, just a huge description of, like, Whitney Houston's discography. And then, like, Huey and the Lewis's... And so that happened several times throughout the novel, always following extremely horrific accounts of violence. And I thought it was cool because... um, Serial killers in real life have patterns, right? They have habits, they have things they do in a certain order and way. And I think Ellis was introducing that and in saying that after he does this thing, he then kind of decompresses or or changes gears and and has a really in-depth discussion of of pop music, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's part of his pattern. Um and we see a lot of patterns with him. We see um him being obsessed with the Patty Winter show. Like he watches it every day. Um, his pattern, you know, his, all kinds of patterns, right? Like, you know, the way he uh, has to go return some videotapes, like famously, yeah. <laughs> I gotta, I got I gotta return some videotapes. This is why I'm he's gonna start using out, that like, as everything.
0: an excuse and see where it gets me nowadays in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta return. Oh, well, some Well, I think tapes. it's a thing
1: in the movie too. So
0: yeah. Um. <laughs> um. Okay. So while we're on music, there's something. There's an observation I made. So he sure. cannot stand live music, right? Right. They yeah. won't he won't go to live music, but he loves the albums and he loves like people's reviews of them. And I think my read of it is just the unpredictability of a live show, right? So it's yeah. like he can't handle not knowing exactly what's going to happen and not knowing exactly how to react to it based on what you were just saying, like his re- the reviews he's read and the things that he's heard other people say. So going to a live show if anything's changed, he won't know which one way or another where to land on it. Like what would the right most status heavy way be to lean? So it's like right. he doesn't know the right answer so he can't stand live music and the unpredictability.
1: I like that read. Uh yeah, I also thought that it could be part of like I mean not in, not not about everything but he's he's a, he's a perfectionist about a lot of things. And he wants every like everything has to be just right and I can see live music is kind of that's not that, right? Like it's not the perfect the perfect version that's on the album. Mm-hmm. Um so maybe the the kind of you know, less than perfect version that you get at a show um he doesn't know how to react to it yeah so i don't know it could be that
0: so but. this the scene where uh bono becomes the devil oh yeah <laughs> was this like a hallucination was this him seeing like bono like i mean was... i i assume it was a hallucination yeah. where bono
1: looks right at him and he feels that they're like the same and all this stuff right yeah was what do you uh, think
0: was there anything else to that you think like some sort of subtextual thing that alice was trying to say
1: yeah well i mean he could be making a commentary about you know maybe pop artists are uh not the golden gods that we often think they are or, mm-hmm. you know maybe that there's some darkness out there he's identifying um but it's all said through the lens of bateman so can you believe any of it um right. one thing that i did find funny in, in that uh, rolling stone interview uh ellis said that he once uh was at a party and his publicist said huey lewis is at this party would you like me to inter- would you like to meet him and and he was like yeah yeah I'll meet him that'd be cool and so his publicist like went and left for a while and then came back later and was like ah he 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 can't meet you never mind and then he was like you know what's going on and he's like yeah he just he 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 doesn't want to meet you or whatever and and so then later he found out that it basically was he had read his book and didn't like the, his inclusion in in the novel uh, this novel right? right and so refused to meet him at this i guess party or whatever so oh no wow. but uh
0: so yeah so not all of these uh stars necessarily loved being in this in this uh novel well you're being associated in some way with this like m- most evil person so yeah
1: so audible gave us an affiliate link and with that you can get a free book and free 30 days with their service which i've been using for years I love it. Um, I, I used it to listen to this book. Honestly, while I was reading the physical copy, which I had to own, um, yeah, it's 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 really it's a great service. You can get all sorts of books. Once you buy a book through Audible, you own it, and even if you were to cancel the service, you would continue to own that book, right? Like it's in your library, you own it, you can listen to it whatever you want. So I think that's important to know. Um, you can cancel anytime. But it's a great service, and I've been, I, yeah, like I said, I've I've been doing it for years.
0: Yeah, I thought it was really interesting this time with with American Psycho. There was that interview at the end with Ellis, and I thought that really added a lot of good context and kind of let you know where the author was at when he was writing it. And I just felt like that was a fun little extra from Audible.
1: Yeah, it's a fascinating thing that they do. They do that with a lot of audiobooks. I, you know, over the years, I have found that. I mean, not all of them, but often they'll have little author interviews and stuff like that at the end, which kind of gives you a little little extra something, right? Um, so, yeah, it's a cool service. Um, if you if you haven't signed up for it already, uh, please do and use our link, audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film. And, yeah, and like you said, if you use that link, you're going to get a free book. So why not?
0: So uh, there's a part early on where someone is insulting a Jewish man. And he, like, very early on, and he, like, stands up and says that, like, you shouldn't say that about this person, which I thought was very interesting because he constantly is just like racist and hateful and sexist to everyone he sees, and yet like is it was it this moment of like needing to like was that a status thing? what was that early on where he defended this Jewish person?
1: Yeah, I think absolutely it was status it was status and and the appear its appearances right like he wants to appear it's 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 fashionable to appear socially forward minded especially in mixed company. And, and I think that was a moment of that. I think there's an example of that later on where I I wrote down the quote. Um, I'd have to find it, but I think it's, I think it's, it's something to the effect of he's getting up to leave and he says, he says, I just want it to be known. I'm pro family and And (laughs) (laughs) anti-drug. I had a laugh out loud moment about that because it's like the most complete opposite things of anything he believes, obviously, Mm -hmm. but he wants it to be known, um, which I thought was hilarious. I should just, start saying that when I
0: get up to go to the bathroom. I just wanted to be known. <laughs> pro-family and anti-drug. And then. just want everybody to know exactly who I am. <laughs> All right, another point. This is this is one that I felt like you would have a lot to say because it's specifically the form of, of the writing here. So mm-hmm. uh, there's the scene where he gets into like, the, it's very late in the story where he's like in a gunfight with the cops and he's like yep. shooting cops and running and stuff. And it specifically goes from his inner monologue to third person. Do you remember what this right. happening? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely okay. So, remember. So that, that, that honestly is one of the reasons why I felt like um, he did do some of these things, but he's also embellishing and making his own movies in his head, like all these things that he's, because he definitely didn't kill a bunch of cops and then get away and then nothing happened.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I, I think that's, that's a clear example of where you can, you can draw conclusions about it being not real. But the third per, first person, third person thing from a craft point of view, I thought was brilliant. And that, that's where I think um, I really want to give him props, because I think there is a lot of brilliant um, writing in here and use of language in a way that I haven't seen, um, you know, and it, it, yeah, the idea to, to have a character who's telling a story in first person, present tense, unreliable, and then spontaneously swapped to third person. In, 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 as he's describing something, is really fascinating, and, and it, dis, it it dissociates you from the character, and it makes you feel like the dissociation isn't a literary device, but actually a um, like a psychosis or like a like a like a insanity thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's literally Bateman dissociating from himself, or it's him making up a story, and it's kind of unclear what is true. Um, but yeah, just the idea that you can do that with form is fascinating to me from a writing point of view.
0: Yeah, I thought it was so cool uh because it was it was that moment where I was like it because I feel like as the crimes went on as he, you know, murdered people or stabbed them, well I guess it starts with like stabbings and then it moves into murders and then rapes and murders and just like the most awful things you can think of. Uh mm-hmm. it gets it escalates and then when he's in the most escalated Situation: He's shooting cops in the streets, and it's like this most like insane thing. And he's trying to get away to his office. Uh, that's when he chose to show Bateman at his most unreliable as a narrator, because we get, like you said, like we go straight into something so removed from the character that it couldn't. Like he's not referring to himself as Bateman. It's some sort of, or is he? You know what I mean? I guess he is kind of. It's like Bateman jumps over the car and does. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it is him making this movie. Inside. And it's funny
1: because throughout the novel, there's there's descriptions from the point of view of a of a movie. Like he'll say "smash cut," I'm in the bathroom or whatever. Right. Like he'll yeah. say things like that, and it's very cinematic. And 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 it was like it's also, I think, part of that narcissism, right? Like he views his life as a movie, like in in the, that people are admiring and watching. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story itself is is as him bragging. He's bragging to us, the reader, right? Right. That's the whole thing. And, and so yeah, it's all kind of an exercise in, in narcissism.
0: What do you think about this? What do you think about the fact that all the characters constantly mix each other's names up? And specifically, they, they mix up his name a lot and he either goes with it or says something about it. Um, do you think that that's, he's not a different person than he's saying, right? Because the, the very last time that it comes up is with the lawyer and the lawyer like mistakes him for somebody else. Mm. And that's when I was like, holy shit, is he a different person than we even think he is?
1: Yeah, I took it to be more a uh, commentary on the lack of identity present in these circles and how everybody's so interchangeable. And, and if you look at it that way, his obsession with serial killers and violence is a cry, a cry to have something interesting about himself, right, in a world where there is nothing interesting about you. And the things you think are interesting about you are only interesting to a, to a certain group of people who are all interchangeable. Um, and I, I think like if you were in that world and you got caught up in it, which by all accounts, it sounds like uh, the author was, I can see that feeling of pointlessness and how you're sitting around and people are talking endlessly about menswear and about uh, different types of bottled water and shit like that. Right. And like, yeah. it, it would all feel so empty. And then, and then, yeah, just the idea that everybody keeps mistaking people for other people and, I don't know. Yeah, that stuff's all really interesting. That's like some of the best stuff in the book, in my opinion, because it's, it's I think it's a really, really sharp criticism of a certain kind of culture in America. Right. And it's also what makes this American psycho, right? Like, I think it's a very American thing.
0: Definitely. I also felt like with the names thing, there was something about not remembering someone's name is almost like a, like a, a way of putting them down. And being sure. like, like doing it, even though you know who that was, but not remembering their name in a, in a conversation saying, who are you again, is almost like a way of being like, you're not important enough. And I'm so important. I'm so busy that I can't remember who you are.
1: Oh, yeah. And and, and Bateman constantly does this sort of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, just saying things
1: deliberately to hurt people. Right. Like we see him doing this all the time. I thought one of the cruelest things was like, he, I mean, there was a, a point where he's, he, he's broken up with Evelyn and he sends her like a box of flies. Um, which is just creepy, right? But inside of it, there's like a letter that says something to the effect of, um, you know, I never loved you or whatever, but then it was like, uh, you need to go on a diet. And then he says, even though it wasn't true, and the idea that that kind of cruelty, he would just introduce just to like throw it out there and like hurt people, right? Mm -hmm. And cause problems. And he does this constantly throughout the book. And yeah, the idea that he knew someone's name, but he would pretend like he didn't, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. He does it all the time. Mm Mm-hmm and it's it's also so interesting. The other thing I love about this interchangeability, right? is it makes us wonder how fucked up all these other people are because we see how fucked up Bateman is. and if he's truly interchangeable, like I mean, maybe they're not psychotic killers, but this kind of casual cruelty, the racism, like we see that in all of his friends too right and and how um oh yeah, they're they're their Roma- their they're misogyny as they are dating these women, right? and how it's all about appearances. How about how hot your girlfriend is, right? And, and and the idea they all joke about person, you know, why does it matter if they have a good personality? And and they all just are constantly viewing women through this lens. Um, yeah I don't know It just how fucked up are all these people I guess is right, it's yeah. an open question yeah
0: we can get so many more of like versions of this story which I, I get you said earlier in the episode you don't know how many more of these stories we need I agree with you yeah. and I don't even know if I'm gonna read this story again ever like it's pretty yeah. I'm pretty much done with like I, I like the book and I think it's got a lot of substance to it and I think there's a lot being said there but it's just, it's so much, man. And it was like, honestly, like some of those times when you're going through those walls of text, it's just like, I want to be out of this. I want something interesting to happen. So it's it's yeah. a, It's not that it's a tough read. It's just that like, so, there were times that I was getting exhausted. Yeah. Exhausting is, is
1: a really good, that's exactly how I felt about this novel. I thought it was emotionally draining. I think while I was reading it, I tended to be in a bad mood. I would mm-hmm. notice after I would get done reading, describe like a lot of the more violent scenes, like it would put me in, it would bum me out. Like I'd feel kind of shitty for the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. Like it, I don't dislike the book. Um, I, I'm thinking already about like I have to. I'm gonna rate this thing on Goodreads, good and where am I gonna fall? And ultimately, I think I, I'm 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 hugely impressed with a lot of the technical things behind it. I'm impressed with the craft. I think he said a lot of really interesting things about society. I think it's a fascinating concept. I think it's well executed. But ultimately, I found it sort of exhausting and not super enjoyable. Um, Mm -hmm. There are moments, like I said, that were laugh out loud funny to me. Uh, There are moments that are very memorable. Um, I'm glad. I feel like I'm glad I've read this novel, um, even as fucked up as it is. But yeah, I don't know if it's something I would want to reread. And I don't know if it's something I would necessarily recommend to people, um, unless this sounds interesting to you, you know. Um, But I wouldn't be comfortable recommending it because it kind of bummed me out throughout and, and not just bummed me out, but like put me in a bad mood where I felt like I was more irritable or something. Like it was, it was weird.
0: Wow. Yeah. Now that you say that, I actually, like, I didn't even put two and two together, but yeah, I can see that because I'm, I was kind of like, yeah, just like on edge or like, like less. Yeah. There wasn't, there wasn't as much, uh, Maybe I had a little bit of a shorter fuse or something. Not that I, you know, got angry or anything, but just like, I know what you mean. So it's got
1: this real post-modernism take of like, everything is bullshit, nothing matters, right? And that can be, that can have that effect on you when you you really start to view the world as like, everyone's terrible, you know? The person who you thought was, you know, redeemable actually is terrible. We're all bad. Society's terrible and all needs to be burned down. Like that kind of thinking while I get it, and occasionally, definitely, if you have those thoughts, it is exhausting and it's mm-hmm. depressing, and and that's definitely the feeling this novel gives you. Like, you just want to burn it all down, right, okay. by the end of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, let's talk about like specifically the homeless guy. He is attacked and then and then the dog is there and he attacks the dog, too. And like that's like that's draining. And then we get into some some like more like he he murders the the gay man who had like who had been like, I guess, closeted, but like said he loved, loved Bateman. Right. And he like went to strangle him and then he confessed all his love to him and then later killed him. Um, Did he kill Lewis? I think so, right? Or no, no, no. Or didn't, didn't he just, he was going to, right? I think he was going to, but I don't know that he actually yeah, does. Yeah, you're right, you're right. I think th- he ended up I getting mean, married, other right? Than he kills, I mean,
1: think about let's, what, what men does he kill? He only kills Paul Owen, who we later learned he didn't kill, for sure. Uh, the taxi driver, and then I think one or two bums, I think are the only men he kills. Otherwise, he kills almost exclusively women, right? Right. Uh, a lot of like prostitutes and, and, and people that he dates. Right. Um, and we hear a lot of him t- referencing murders that he did earlier in life, and those always seem to be women when he's describing them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this, I think uh, it, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the idea of toxic masculinity as it relates to this novel. Because whether or not he was, like, purposely trying to talk about it, I think that's what this whole book's about, too, right? Mm-hmm. It's about the the pressure to be the strongest, most virile, to, you know, have sex with the most beautiful women, that, that a lot of men feel, right, right. and how ha, and how's, how also that can lead to misogyny and and uh, you know when you don't view women as people and you view them instead of as like trophies mm-hmm. and then how you can get angry at them for saying no and we see a lot of this with like stalkers and and stuff all the time in the news, right? And it's a, it's a frightening thing, but I like it's cleverly done because it's showing us how these people think. I guess is what I'm trying to say, and so it's interesting. If terrifying <laughs> it's that that's where the real terror comes in this novel to me mm-hmm. is is understanding how these people think um it's frightening
0: well it's it's kind of similar to it's like a fictionalized version of people are so fascinated with true crime now you know what yeah. i mean it's they find the mind of the killer and all of these things so interesting and why do they do the things that they do what shaped these people so just like even if it's a fictionalized version we're seeing this like the not even there's not even an arc but we're seeing the story of this character who I guess what's funny is there's a lack of arc, right? He just he ends up exactly where he started.
1: Yeah, I would say instead of an arc, it's like a, well, I don't know. If he ends up exactly where he started. He he really comes apart to, in my opinion
0: in the last like quarter of the novel. But did um, but then by the end he's just back to doing his normal things, right?
1: Yeah, I guess. Um, I I didn't. I don't know if he's. I feel like he completely recovered. Mm-hmm. I, I I think his mental st- state deteriorates to like crazy levels, right? Yeah, we talked about it in the in the plot summary, like hallucinating park benches and cheerio talking Cheerios and you know, he talk all kinds of just crazy stuff. Like the 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 sky's flashing different colors at one point. He's I mean the sky's out of his mind. And yeah, whether or not he comes back around, I don't know. It feels like he was pretty off the rails. Um and I don't know though, because yeah, the you know the ending on this is not an exit, I think is pointedly trying to tell us that he goes on like this, right? like mm-hmm.
0: this isn't over, um, so it's kind of ominous. I
1: don't know. did you have a different take on that on that ending? Th- oh no, that's that?
0: what that no, that's where I got it too i was I just see it as like every like I said, I feel like he ended up exactly where he started just talking about meaningless things with people who he doesn't care about and uh doing all this stuff, and then yeah, the, where it leads into the um this is not an exit, basically to me, it was basically just saying, yeah that that like it's gonna continue like this, so why do you think? From a creator point of view, he
1: meticulously described these horrific scenes and these also the sex scenes. He would, it would often be like a, a, a meticulously described, explicit, pornographic, almost like erotica type scene. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that would immediately lead into, uh, maybe not erotica is not a good one because there's no love behind any of it. It was all very mechanical, mm-hmm. but then he would immediately, like, it would immediately bleed over into. Um, him murdering these women, right? And why was it described that way? In your opinion,
0: It's a good question. I feel like it's because the two for him were were. Inter- it's about like, as you, said, you were saying before, like that the idea of being the best, having sex with the best, being um, being dominant, having control in all these situations, and and being the 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 most in control. Um, so I felt like the, the murder was just a step a step that he took on his like maybe early on in his life he was just it had to do with being in positions of power and then moved on to torturing animals or whatever and then moving into hurting people killing people hiring prostitutes because he has the money too and then showing them how insignificant they are and that kind of thing it's all just like control and power for him i think
1: and and the i like i mean i like what you say and and i agree and, and i think laying it all out in such explicit detail. It chronicle chronicles his thinking process and, and his journey as he begins the fantasy with the sex and he begins the fantasy with the way he orchestrates the whole encounter like it's a porno right like and he talks about filming it all the time mm-hmm. and then how that leads to you know it kind of builds on it builds on itself builds on itself until all of a sudden now he's murdering them and he's videotaping that and he's orchestrating that and it's very cinematic right and whether or not that was fantasies, you know what i mean, obviously open to interpretation, did he actually do this stuff or was it all just him i don't know dreaming it or imagining it mm-hmm. after the fact. And you know and i don't know it's I mean, it's deliberately done and i think to great effect. Um but i i absolutely think that's going to be a lot of people aren't going to be able to read it and and i think there's no there's no shame in that because it's 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 terrifying and it's it's um viscerally affecting um and it's it's like i feel like someone who's not easily shocked right Mm -hmm. and this this book was shocking and actually in the movie and this book is way more shocking than the movie can we talk
0: about that (laughs) it's got more than the movie for sure uh well because they can't show this shit in the movie yeah well specifically the thing with the rat was like the thing with the rat (laughs) for me was like boom that was like not that i couldn't read on but that was like the farthest that i felt like it could be pushed yeah and i was like holy shit that's Fucked up, like it was. It was. Yeah. I was like, oh, "That's like the, one of the worst things I can imagine."
1: Yeah, that scene was was, was referenced in, in the in the interview, and he said that he was inspired by reading the Marquis de Sade, which I, I don't know. Anyway, I guess there's a description of a of a guy being tortured with a rat, and he mm-hmm. and he, he inspired him to write that scene. And he said that he just took it to another level. Oh, I also want to talk about these specific scenes, right? He said that he feels like he wrote them in a haze. He doesn't really remember writing them. Um, and he doesn't he said to this. So first off, he doesn't really reread his not his books very much after the, after publication. He said mm-hmm. he reread it a bunch leading up to pu- publication. But since he published it, he's only reread it like once or twice over the years. And even now, he said he can't remember what happens in a lot of those scenes. Now, whether or not that's true. It's, you know what I mean. I was gonna say Who it knows? seems
0: like a good way to, as far as everyone's concerned, a good way to separate yourself from the sick, sadistic, sadistic stuff that you wrote. You know what I mean. Yeah. In order to to be like, I don't really remember it. It's kind of a good yeah. way to be, uh, yeah. not not questioned about it. Sure. You know what I mean. It's you kind know. of a sidestep.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. I agree. It's a it's a way to distance yourself from it. Um, now he did say that he did a lot of research into. Like he read FBI forensics about like actual murders and actual serial killers Mm -hmm. and what they did. Um, so, I mean, you can, you can definitely see that a lot of this is inspired by real crazy shit that, you know, it's sadistic murders that really happened. Um, so a lot of it, like, you know, was he really imagining it, inventing, was he inventing it or was he like taking pieces of things he read elsewhere and then maybe, um, trying to turn it up to 11 in his mind? I I think it's probably more of that, more of the latter. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting they say that he doesn't he doesn't remember it. I, yeah, I also don't know if that's true.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that that rat scene is really going to stick with me. It's it's pretty pretty gruesome.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I think that's one of several for me that you're right. I think, it, it, yeah, are, are just like lodged in my brain now. Um, so yeah, that's something. Um, I don't know if I like that I have that in my brain. So. <laughs> Yeah, be aware that if you're going to read this book, uh, there are some shit in there that 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 will that will stay with you. Mm-hmm. Um because, you know, all this talent he has as a writer, he fully employs it in describing these scenes. Um they are really explicit, really graphic. The details um feel so true, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. which makes them really it's like this isn't just like um, you know, red syrup being splashed all over the screen in a horror movie, right? This is feels very real. Right. So, we've talked about a lot of stuff here, but I think it's also important to talk about privilege in this book um, because I think you can look at this as a huge criticism of white male privilege, right? And not just white male, it's white male and it's also wealth and it's also um, beauty, right? All of these things have status and privilege that come along with them. And Bateman is the pinnacle out of all of these. So even while he's being terrible to women, He's so beautiful, like repeatedly told he looks like a model, right? And he's, his physique is so perfect that I think his beauty makes him get away with a lot of it, right? Like a lot of women are willing to assume he's actually this like shy, sweet guy, even though he's giving them no reason to think that. Right. They just want to assume that about him, right? And, and so there's that. And then there's his wealth, right? That gives him a huge amount of privilege where he can get away with so much because he's this wealthy guy and everybody assumes that he's successful, and then he's white, and then he's a man. Um, so yeah, it, this Bateman is the quintessential example of, of privilege when people talk about it and how he can literally be talking about murdering people and people will assume he's joking, right?
0: Yeah, people will su- assume that he actually is this good guy we, when he doesn't do anything good. Yeah, I mean, it, that, I could see somebody uh, who doesn't fit into any of those criteria reading this and just being like, this, I, this is just like not readable for me you know what I mean just being yeah. like this is not can't relate yeah. yeah can't relate yeah I think I think uh well yeah, even it, and even not being able to relate it, like you shouldn't be able to relate to the character or hopefully you don't relate to the characters very much but just in general like reading this and just being like this isn't for me
1: yeah and I, I think that's perfectly fair um and I don't even know like I don't even know if this book's for me either mm. <laughs> um, um I think ultimately I have enough kind of uh interest in the form and and in quality writing and in the—I think the exercise of trying to write from the point of view of this diseased, reprehensible mind as it deteriorates is a fascinating one. And I like, I like the idea of that. Um, I could even see myself being tempted to try and write something like that. But ultimately, I think I look for, I look for a different sort of enjoyment from my novels. Um, and I don't know how much of enjoyment I got out of this, you know, other than seeing the the craft being expertly done. So I don't know. Like, I think ultimately it's I'm probably going to end up at a four star rating for me. Now, we don't normally talk ratings on this show. So that's not really something I'm interested in. But I've just been really trying to figure out where I'm going to land. And I think, you know, you can say you can argue for a five star rating. And I, I'm not going to give anybody shit if they think this is a like a brilliant five star book, um, because I, and on a lot of levels it is. Um, and then I also'm not gonna give anyone shit who thinks this is like a one star two star book because they fucking hate it and they think that its shouldn't exist and they think that it's just pure misogyny. you know what I mean? like I can't argue with you there either because I think it is all of these things, hmm. and so for me it's gonna i'm gonna it's gonna fall more as like a four star but I'm also not one of the like target demos here that's being brutalized
0: mm-hmm. um so yeah, you know, I don't know so I- where I land on this is kind of how you were saying, like it was, it was the, the act of doing it, I think was worth it. I think that it was a, it's an interesting book that exists, but ultimately I kind of am worried for people who are like, oh, I love this story. I love this book. People who like, do you know, do you know what I mean? Like people who yeah. are loving it for the wrong reasons, like you, I guess yeah. we talked about it in the beginning, but if I don't know, if I encounter somebody who's like, I love that book, I really hope that they'll say like their reasoning that backs it up is just solid writing, very interesting, like, um, experiment into what writing can be and what storytelling can be. Uh, Because I hope that people don't walk away and say, like, this is how you should act and this is cool.
1: Yeah, right, right, right. And I think there is probably a strong contingent of people who love this book, who Mm -hmm. might be listening right now, who would argue that the reason they love it is the way it exposes a lot of the bullshit in our society a lot of the uh, materialism, a lot of the narcissism. They look at Bateman as a um, caution, almost like a cautionary tale of like where that kind of thinking can lead, and where the pressures of society can turn someone into a monster, um, and the pressures of trying to like keep up and to ha- have the best all the time. It, in, in some ways, it's like Fight Club, right? Um, mm-hmm. It has some similar themes, right? And like what that can do to a person and and drive them insane. And I can totally see that that could be really so interesting and um, insightful to you that you could just love this novel unabashedly. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I get it. But I just don't know if I'm quite there with you. <laughs> Which is funny, because I actually, you know, I expected to like this novel more than I did, too. I, yeah. I think, um because I, I mean, and I guess it's true of the movie, too, though. Like, I have reservations about the movie as much as I enjoy it. Um, I wouldn't ever list it as like one of my favorite movies, um, yeah, although I do think it's a good one. Um, but yeah, we should save all of that. If you, if you don't know, we, we're going to do another episode for American Psycho, the movie, following this yeah, one. Yeah, so, looking forward to it. So I think there are a couple of times where he says really telling things. Um, and just one of them I want to mention is he says, the past isn't real. It's just a dream. And then he often talks about people being automatons and being cardboard and how he himself isn't real. And he says, you're shaking hands with me, but I don't exist. And um, I thought that was really interesting because it works on multiple levels, right? Like, it works on, like, a meta level, saying that he is a metaphor, saying that he isn't a real person. Um, but it also works on a level of psychosis because this is stuff that serial killers say. Um, like I'm thinking of, like, the show Mindhunter. And, and, and whenever you just get into true crime, there, that's something you'll see where people don't see other people as real, don't see themselves as real, think of themselves as being automatons. Um, this kind of stuff comes up, so it's, it was really fascinating. I think to put that in this novel.
0: Yeah, something something that that uh, came to mind when I was reading this, and and just a moment ago you mentioned Fight Club. There's like this '90s successful white male struggling with uh, what's going on, and it's it's like this angsty thing. It's like the it's like leading into a lot of like how society reacts into like the early 2000s and stuff. And I just th- I just think it's interesting that. Maybe it's just where society was for for books, and maybe it's because of the privilege of certain writers being being prevalent. But it's just it's interesting that these are the stories that were being told in the '90s. Is like people who are who have a lot of things and are just struggling with themselves. Do you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. not a lot of external things that they're struggling with at that point because the the economy was so good because all of these things are going so well for white men. Um, yeah. These are the stories that we kind of dive into in like the '90s.
1: Well, I think it's um, important for us all to think about meaning and value in life, and the idea that these people who have everything on the surface can feel so empty and feel like nothing is interesting or satisfying to them um, because they're they're obsessed with the wrong things, right? They're obsessed mm-hmm. with with superficial bullshit, and yeah. So from that point of view, you can look at this book as a as as being really brilliant too, I guess, and that it forces you to think about your obsession with maybe earning more money and, and getting the next best thing, right? And how maybe we should all worry a little bit less about that and worry more about finding other sorts of value in our lives. Right. One thing I wanted to point out, another quote here I have in my notes. Um, he's talking to, he's talking to, um, I think it's Jeanette, um, and he says, you shouldn't fawn over him, I mean me. And I loved that because that really shows how dissociated he is from the, from the concept, like the concept of Patrick Bateman that, as he's telling it to us is a character in his own mind. And that's not even really who he is, right? Um, and I think that's really telling where, right? <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't fawn over him. I mean me. Yeah, um, it's like the movie thing again, God, right? So like
0: he's just like, he's the director of this movie that he's fabricating. Yeah. You shouldn't fawn over him.
1: So to end this i think we should we should each talk about one scene that was different from the movie that like really stood out to us that maybe we haven't talked about yet um cuz i have one in particular that i meant to talk about and i had to i forgot to so how does Sounds that sound good. yeah
0: i have something in mind i think
1: okay cool so we'll do that at the very end so stick around for that but first a big thank you to colton b who is a patron over uh, on patreon a supporter uh, he's at the $3 level which is awesome um, he really helps us keep this show going. So thank you to Colton.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Colton. You can connect with us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of those at InkToFilm. Uh, we're active on there. So send us a message. Send us any sort of thoughts you have.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and speaking of feedback, if you'd like to react to this episode or to American Psycho in general or in advance of us watching this movie, send us an email to inktofilm at gmail.com. And we'd love to get your reaction. Maybe we'll read some on the air for the next episode. Um, this is a, this is going to be a really uh, controversial project, I think, for us. So we'd love to get some feedback.
0: If you wanted to help us out, you could leave a rating and review on whatever service you listen to podcasts on, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, any of that stuff. Uh, it really helps other podcasts. So if you could do that, that would be great. Yeah, and we just wanted to say thank you again to Audible for giving us an affiliate link. It's audibletrial.com forward
1: slash ink to film. With that, if you sign up, you can get a free book. All right, man. So, what is one scene that was different from the movie, or a new scene from the book that uh, stood out to you that we didn't talk about?
0: So, the scene that we didn't really talk about uh, that I that I felt was really powerful. It might even be better than it was in the movie. Is the scene where Patrick is at work and the detective, the PI, comes in and investigates him, and he's talking to him about all of the things that don't add up and who he had been with, and the way that Patrick is reacting is is just like completely irrational like I don't even know if this detective is is like a something fantasy that he made up or what but this guy shows up and he's Patrick Bateman is so he's not helping in any way he's making it really difficult for the detective to try to piece together any sort of story and he's lying to him and he catches him in a lie and I just felt like that scene was really tense and and I think it might be better than it was in the in the movie
1: that's funny. That was my same scene because I realized we didn't talk about it, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, we were sh- we should have talked about that detective scene." Um, yeah, I think it, it's interesting because yeah, I think it, it was a great scene. It was really interesting to see him caught off guard like that and 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 be on the defensive. But I was also very surprised that it didn't come back. That that detective never shows up again in the right. book, and that's a big plot point in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. His investigation, and uh, I think it was I think it's a really interesting adaptation decision to make to to make that uh, investigation more prominent. So that'll be something uh, we can, should definitely pay attention to when we see the movie.
0: Yeah, I think it adds a lot more structure to it, right? Because it's like, I think the point of the book is is there's not much going on other than the materialistic uh, self-centeredness. And then this is almost like that the investigation is ongoing and it's kind of pushing along some of the plot.
1: It's something you can hang your hat on as a viewer and like want to know how the investigation is going to turn out because you know that he's like someone's looking into him, right? So right. yeah narratively it is a very interesting device um but yeah we'll save some of that for the movie episode which is going to be next week we hope you join us for that um and then i you know happy july 4th uh, hopefully uh we didn't bum you out too much with the descriptions of this of this novel <laughs> um we had fun covering it though or at least i did yeah definitely all right until then i'm luke and i'm james see you next time